listening to audio from Faith Church, located on the north side of Indianapolis. If you'd like to check out more information about our church and ministry, please visit faithchurchindy.com. I'll be reading from the book of Matthew, starting in chapter 6, verse 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. In 2004, when we were still living in St. Louis, University of Missouri announced that uh, they had plans to build a new 15,000-seat, $75 million sports arena, and that one-third, $25 million of that funding was going to come from one family, the Lori family, who were local, wealthy uh, business people. In exchange, the Lorries were going to get an 800-square-foot luxury box with free catering, uh, six courtside seats for every event in the arena, and most importantly, naming rights for the arena. The Lorries announced that they were going to be naming it Page Arena after their daughter Paige. This created a little bit of controversy and discussion because Paige Lorie had no connection to the University of Missouri at all. She'd never been a student there. She'd never attended there. She'd never enrolled there. But a six with a 25 with six zeros after it, you know, it tends to speak pretty loudly, right? Uh, and I have to confess, I've never really been tempted to write a $25 million check to immortalize my name on a sports arena. Although I do recognize that the Jeffrey Dome sounds pretty cool. <laughs> And if you had billions to give away, I mean, come on, you're not going to create the anonymous do-good-help-others fund, right? It's going to be the Lilly Endowment. It's going to be the Ford Foundation. Because those are ways of achieving kind of fame and recognition and maybe even a kind of immortality for ourselves, right? To have your name permanently recognized for your generosity, maybe even carved in granite over the entrance and repeated every time the arena is mentioned. Now, even if we don't have millions or thousands or maybe even dozens to give away, there is something in us, I think, that that hungers for recognition, for notice, for applause, for the good that we do. And money and gifts and service can often become ways to seek that recognition and applause, sometimes cloaked in spirituality. And that's what Jesus is addressing in this first section of Matthew chapter 6. And I think here's what he's getting at, that healthy giving serves others and it honors God. Healthy giving serves others and it honors God. Now, we're continuing in this series called Foundations, where we've been looking at what we call the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew's Gospel, and how it's really about building a life on the foundation of 
Jesus' kingdom. And he began by really challenging, reorienting our understanding of what it means to be blessed and who the blessed people are and who that blessing of God is available to. Jesus then used, remember, that image of salt and light to picture the impact of God's people in the world and in our communities, that uh, we would do good as a way of demonstrating God's character and God's love and kindness. And, and then he talked about righteousness or rightness for his people that has to be even greater than the, the religious leaders, greater in the sense of deeper and more genuine and more expansive because those religious leaders obeyed the letter of the law, but their hearts were often not in the right place. And it had to be greater, different than the, the pagans, the people in the world around them, because they, they love each other, but our love has to go even to enemies, even to people who hurt us. Be perfect, Jesus has just said at the end of chapter 5. Be whole, be complete, be integrated, just like your Father. Be perfect, but be careful, Jesus now says. Watch out. There's danger ahead. In Matthew chapter 6 now, Jesus is taking the hypocritical religiosity, it's a fun phrase to say, of the religious leaders, of the Pharisees, and, and he says in verse 5, don't be like them. And he looks at the irreligious pagans in the world around us, their superstition, and he says, don't be like them. Christians are to be different from both the religious people and the irreligious people, Christian Rightness, righteousness is not just outward obedience, but it's an external expression that comes from a renewed heart. And Jesus then in this uh, first two-thirds of chapter 6 repeats a simple outline for this instruction that he's going to give us on the outworking of practical rightness, righteousness in everyday life. There's a command and a warning in verse 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before others to be seen by them. For you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. And then over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be looking at these examples, three different examples of righteousness in giving, in prayer, and in fasting or self-denial. And in each of those, Jesus repeats the the consequences of this unhealthy spirituality, you've received your reward in full, and a promise for practicing authentic spirituality. Your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Because healthy giving, Jesus says, in this section, serves others and honors God. So why giving? Let's dig into that. Verse 2, thus, when you give to the needy, Jesus says. Make sure that you sound no trumpet as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that others may see. Now, do any of you remember what Jesus said back in chapter 5 about that living out in the world? He said, let your light shine so that people will see your good deeds. And glorify your Father is in heaven. Is there a contradiction here? How do we make sense of this? Jesus is telling us, do good so that people may see it. And now he's saying, don't do your good in order to be seen by people. 
I think the answer is that Jesus is talking about different sins and temptations. And, and that's why he's making us, uh, that's why he's pointing us in different directions. It's our fear that makes us hold back from standing out and being different. And that's why Jesus says, let people see your good deeds. But then there's also the danger of vanity and pride, which makes him say, beware of practicing your righteousness before people to be noticed by them. One commentator sums it up this way. We are to show when we're tempted to hide, and we're to hide when we're tempted to show. When we're tempted to stand out and have people notice us, that's when we need to hide. And when we're tempted to hang back and hide, that's when Jesus is saying, no, you you need to let your light shine. Our good works must be public so that God's light shines through us, but our religious expression and also in some way must be secret so that we don't become proud and boast about it. That's what we want to unpack. But the, the goal of both is the glory of God. Why are we to keep our good deeds secret so that the glory goes to God, not to us, so that people don't see the good that we're doing and say, oh, what an awesome person he or she is. We're to let our light shine and do good works in the world so that the people would see them and give glory to the Father, not to us. And then these three examples of righteousness, of practical righteousness, reflect our duty our commitment, our connection to others, to God, and to ourselves. This, this triad of religious expression. To give alms, as some of your translations may say, to, to give to the needy is to serve and bless others, to look out for their good. To pray is to seek God's direction and wisdom in a posture of humility and dependence. And to fast, to abstain from food or drink for spiritual reasons, is intended at least partly to discipline ourselves for spiritual growth through self-denial. And, and those three examples, as we're going to see again over the next month or so, follow this similar pattern. In, in this humorous imagery, Jesus paints a picture of the, the hypocrite's outrageous, ostentatious religion. Jesus says they get the reward that they want, people's notice, people's applause. And he contrasts that to the way of the kingdom, which is secret and private. And the only reward that followers of Jesus want, which is the smile, the blessing, the approval, the pleasure of our Father in heaven. Because healthy giving serves others and honors God. So let's continue then in in verses 2 through 4. So when you give to the needy, Jesus says, assuming that we will give, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may be praised by others. They've received their reward. But when you give to the needy, don't let your right hand know what your left is doing so that your giving may be in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, I hope that this is not new or surprising to you that Jesus is emphasizing our call to give generously to help those in need because that's the teaching of God's word from 
Genesis all the way to Revelation, the Old Testament is full of command and encouragement and then even rebuke for failure to give to the needy, for being hard-hearted and closed-fisted. The, the Greek word for giving alms, literally there in verse 2, is built off of the root word, which means an act of mercy or pity. I think the point is Jesus is saying because our God is merciful, because he is kind and generous and good, that's how we are to be to others. Just as he said, remember in the last chapter, he causes the sun to rise on the righteous and the unrighteous alike. And because God is kind and merciful, he is calling his disciples to be merciful and generous and full of blessing like he is. Our giving is a way of participating in God's generous goodness to his creation. The, the Jewish people gave alms because God commanded it, and he commanded it because of his love and his concern for those in need. And it was especially important in a society where there were no government programs or cooperative assistance or parachurch ministries. The poor were only helped by individual generosity. But generosity is not enough, Jesus is saying. Jesus is concerned with motivation, with what's going on in our heart, with our, with our attitudes. Remember, we, we saw Jesus pictured how murder and adultery don't have to explode out into physical action. They can actually live and stay in our hearts and be just as destructive. There's a kind of angry unforgiveness that is like heart murder, Jesus says. And there's lustfully looking at and desiring others that is heart adultery, Jesus says. And, and now, in a similar way, he's saying when it comes to giving, Jesus has the same concern. The question is not so much how much you're giving or what your hand is doing, but what your heart is thinking about it when you're doing it. And there are three possible scenarios or paths that we can head down here, and he warns us about two of them. The first is that we practice our generosity, we practice good deeds in order to be seen, to be noticed, to be applauded by others. Or we, we may still do things quietly, anonymously, but we're actually congratulating ourselves and telling ourselves how great we are for what we've done. Or we seek the approval of the Heavenly Father by doing things quietly and secretly and trusting Him for the recognition. This hunger, the first category, this hunger for the recognition, the praise of other people was a besetting sin of these religious leaders. You receive glory from one another, Jesus said to them, and, and you don't seek the glory that comes from the only God. John says of them in his gospel, they love the praise of men more than the praise of God. And so this attitude, even with their generous giving, ruined the gift itself. And Jesus ridicules the way they, they turn it into a public performance. I mean, it's, it's a great image, right? Like, it's almost like the, the circus is coming to town. There's this big procession, and they're blowing trumpets. And look, the, the generous Pharisee is here to distribute gifts. You know, you get a picture of like a medieval king up on the parapet of his castle throwing out coins to the commoners. Aren't you fortunate at how generous and beneficent I am? 
It's meant to be laughable, right? Uh, Calvin says in his commentary, they pretended no doubt that, that the trumpets were a call to the poor. Oh, come and come and receive blessing. But it was perfectly obvious that they were hunting for commendation. Now, whether the Pharisees literally did this sometimes or, or whether Jesus is just, again, pulling out a, a ridiculous example, it doesn't really matter. In either case, he's rebuking our desire to be noticed and esteemed by others. And Jesus calls that hypocrisy. Now, we tend to think of a hypocrite as someone who says one thing and does something else. But the original Greek hypocrites was first just a speaker, and then it became a description of an actor, a stage actor. The hypocrite puts on a display the, the world is simply a stage where they're playing a role. They adopt a persona that is not really who they are. They may actually do the things that a good or a moral or a generous person does. Jesus is not saying you're not giving. He's saying you're giving with the totally the wrong attitude. And, and you're trying to make it look like you're something other than what you really are. You know, in a theater or, or a movie screen, we have no problem with. There's, there's nothing wrong with actors playing a part, right? We know it's a drama. We aren't taken in by it. We, we don't expect Jack Nicholson in real life to actually be a violent gangster. We, we don't expect that uh, Tom Holland is a masked superhero who's going to rescue us from imminent danger from space aliens. The, the problem with the religious hypocrite is that they deliberately set out to deceive people. They're like an actor in that they're pretending to be something, but they're unlike an actor in, in that they take a real and genuine religious activity and turn it into a make-believe. It's, it's a performance in front of an audience done for applause. Now, we may not hire trumpeters to blow a fanfare every time we give to a charity or give to church or give to the poor, but we like to blow our own trumpets. It's an ego boost, right, to, to be recognized as, as being generous, as being supporters of, of something good or noble. Over the years, uh, when our kids were growing up, they sang in different community choirs in St. Louis and here in Indianapolis. And uh, any of you who've had to take your kids to events, whether it's sports or music or whatever, you have to show up early to get them for curtain call or get them for, you know, when they start. And then you grab your program and you wander in and find your seat and you make some small talk and you have to look in the bulletin, of course, to find your kid's name. I mean, obviously. But then you still got time before the concert starts. And so you read the show notes about the performances. And then eventually you turn to the back of the program where there's the list of all the generous donors who made this possible. And Amelia and I were always amazed and a little impressed at the, at the people who were in the legacy circle who gave $5,000 or more. We were never in the legacy circle. We were not in the conductor's circle. We were not angels, we were not benefactors, we were not patrons. I think occasionally we were supporters for $100. And darn it, if seeing our names in that program didn't do something to us. We're like, oh, hey, look, there we are. Isn't it kind of cool to see our names printed there? And then you start looking around, you're like, man, there, there are a lot more people in this concert hall than there are names listed here. How come they're not, you know, supporters like us? We're supporters. 
right? We fall into that same temptation and that trap, right? To, to give in order to be praised by men. And I, I mean, I get it, right? That's the way the world works. You, you give $25 million to a sports arena, you get to put your name on the thing. Jesus isn't even talking about giving to churches or charities here. He's talking about giving to needy people. How much more important is it then that people don't become tools or platforms for our recognition and our advancement? Money is a tool. Money is a resource that we use not to point people towards us, It's a tool that we can use to serve others and honor God or to seek recognition and honor for ourselves. I think Jesus is saying, oh, be careful. Be careful that you don't use gifts, that you don't use resources, that you don't use money to draw attention to ourselves, to make people grateful for us, to make people impressed with us. Because people who seek the praise of others have their reward already. Jesus says. The the verb even translated there to have received their reward was a technical term in commercial transactions. It it meant a sum has been paid in full and uh, and the person has been given a receipt for it. The, the, The play actors, the hypocrites, Jesus says, may get the applause that they seek, but then they've received all the reward that they're ever going to get. Because healthy giving is about serving others and honoring God. It's not just the recognition of others that can be dangerous, though, too, right? Verse 3, when you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Now, it's not hard to grasp Jesus' meaning here. Not only are we not to point others to giving, there's a sense in which we're not even to point ourselves to it, that we're not even to pay attention in some way to what we're doing. He's saying, I I don't want you to be self-conscious, self-aware of how God is working through you. Because self-awareness can decay and turn into self-righteousness. And and our hearts can be so subtly led down this way that that it's possible to keep our giving secret and our serving secret from other people and yet still be proud of ourselves and congratulating ourselves on how good of a job we're doing. At our former congregation in St. Louis, we had, uh, we were part of a food co-op ministry. It was a partnership with other area churches and and a national ministry that coordinated bulk food purchasing so that uh, we could sell a week's worth of food for a family of four for $35. I mean, that was, a, that was a huge blessing, in, especially in the neighborhood that we lived in. And we had dozens of families that benefited from it. It, it allowed us to connect with them, to ask how they're doing, to, to pray with them, to share God's love with them. And, and it was also subtly a temptation for us to feel good about ourselves because of what we're doing. Like, aren't these poor people lucky that we're here doing this for them? Man... We are doing good work. Man, we are a blessing here. You know, it's so easy to go from, I am so thankful that Rita's family is going to have good, affordable food this week, to, man, Rita's family is so fortunate that we're here to make sure that they get affordable food. 
Ever been tempted to rehearse in your mind the, the stories of the good that you've done, how God's used you to bless people, the great ways that you've given or helped or served others? Ever started to subtly become aware of how you're thinking that, man, those other people are really fortunate to have my gifts and, and my generosity and, and my wisdom to, to benefit from? Or maybe it's just me that thinks that way. Jesus is saying, make sure, oh, be careful that, that you're not using money, that you're not using your gifts, you're not using your service and abilities to make your name great, even to yourself. Giving is supposed to alleviate others' problems. It's supposed to help provide for them as an expression of God's goodness and care and generosity. And yet an act of mercy like that can get mixed up with our own vanity so that our giving, yeah, it benefits them and, you know, maybe it also benefits me a little bit. Egotism gets mixed up with altruism and corrupts it. And so to help us with that, to, to try and help us mortify or put to death our, our pride, our vanity, he urges us to keep our giving, our, our good deeds towards others secret, not only from the people who might watch, but even from ourselves. Now, of course, it's not possible to obey this command of Jesus literally. Like, don't let your left hand know what your right is doing. I mean, if we're going to be good stewards, if we're going to manage and, and plan our giving and keep track of finances, we're going to know how much we give away, right? Like, I, I don't think the application here is Jesus is saying, like, literally close your eyes when you're writing out checks or filling out the online, you know, giving form. You know, maybe we need one of those uh, Wheel of Fortune spinners with different numbers on it. Yeah, take it, whatever it is. I, I don't know. No, it's... No, Jesus is saying that when the giving is done, in keeping with this teaching, as much as we can, we, we forget it. We don't call it to mind, we, to, to boast over it, to feel good about ourselves, to gloat over it, to, to congratulate ourselves for how generous, how thoughtful, how sacrificial we were. Christian giving is marked by not only self-sacrifice, but self-forgetfulness. For all the times that I'm tempted to rehearse in my mind the good that I've done, I thank God that there are apparently plenty of other times that I've done good and I have no recollection of it. Have, have you ever had that happen, right? People will come up to you and say, thank you so much for, for what you said or the way that you prayed or that gift that you gave. And, and you don't even remember it. A few weeks ago, my wife Amelia and I were out doing some yard work, and I went to the garage to go get the shovel, and it wasn't hanging there on the pegboard where it's supposed to be. And my first inclination was, of course, Amelia left it somewhere, but that wasn't the case. She was innocent this time. Uh, it, as I talked to her, we both realized we hadn't seen it, and actually, we couldn't remember the last time we'd seen it. But we both had this vague recollection that we'd loaned it to someone. We couldn't remember who it was. We didn't know how long ago it was. And we have no idea where the shovel ended up. But we're pretty sure that somebody needed it, and we were able to give it to them, and, and they used it. And we don't even remember who it was. And, and that's fine. I mean, if you have the shovel, don't worry about it. You can, you can keep it. That's not the point. Admittedly, 
Honestly, of course, this is not the same as what Jesus is talking about here, giving to help the hungry and the homeless. And it's not like I expect God is going to commend me for lending my shovel to somebody. But you've probably had something like that happen, right? Where you do some good act and you don't even remember it and someone may come up to you and, and praise you or thank you or say bless you for that. Oh, you don't know what that meant to me or that note that you said or that, that you sent or that call that you made and you're like, oh, thank you, praise God. I, I, I don't remember it. Now, leaving stuff on top of the car and driving off is normal forgetfulness. That's, that's Jeff Garden variety forgetfulness, right? But there is a godly kind of forgetfulness. And, and we can't obviously force ourselves to forget something, right? It doesn't, it doesn't work that way, right? It's sort of like the old thing of like, don't think about a green elephant right now. And now you're thinking about a green elephant, right? You can't tell yourself to forget it. You can't remind yourself to not think about that thing. The way it works is we focus on the next opportunity to serve and to give and to bless. We, instead of looking inwards and backwards, we're very intentionally looking outwards and forwards for the next opportunity for God to use us, to look around for who can I bless, who can I serve, who needs what I have. And then we're not spending time thinking about the stuff that God has used through us to bless other people. Because healthy giving serves others and honors God. We're not seeking people's praise nor self-commendation, but the approval of God. We're satisfied as followers of Jesus if God is our only witness. We sometimes say in, in one of our confessions... That from you, God, no secrets are hid. And that can feel maybe a little overwhelming when we think of that in terms of our sins and our failures. But that's actually good news because it means, first of all, there's no sins and failures that God does not know about in order to forgive them. It also means there's no good deed, no blessing, no giving, no generosity that God forgets, that God overlooks that God does not acknowledge, that God is not pleased with when we do it the right way. So your Father who sees what's done in secret will reward you. Now, maybe that makes us a little uncomfortable. This doesn't, for some of us, it just it doesn't sit right. You don't want a reward. You don't expect a reward for anyone. And it almost even sounds kind of inconsistent. Jesus is saying, look, don't do it for the reward. But you're going to get rewarded. So doesn't this trade just, you know, kind of one sort of recognition and vanity for another one? Shouldn't we give just for the sake of giving with no expectation of reward? I think it can help us to recognize there are different kinds of rewards and different things that we mean when we say reward. John Stott had some helpful observations here. I wonder if the picture in our minds is uh, awarding prizes at school or in sports with trophies and medals and people clapping. It may be due to some of you, maybe in your King James Version uh, habit, which reads in verse 4, thy father shall reward thee openly. Now, it is written that way in some of the Greek manuscripts, but, but not the earliest ones, not the majority of them. And it, 
It doesn't really match Jesus' parallel teaching on fasting and prayer. It it sounds out of place. I, I don't think it actually belongs there. And the image of an awards ceremony is is not what Jesus has in mind here, right? But Jesus says the Father will reward those who give and pray and fast with the right motives. So what what does that mean and and how? C.S. Lewis writes this in The Weight of Glory. There are different kinds of reward. There, There is a reward which has no natural connection with the things you do to earn it. And it's foreign to the desires that to accompany those things. Money is not the natural reward of love. That's why we call a man mercenary if he marries a woman for her money. But marriage is the proper reward for someone who is genuinely motivated by love. And he's not mercenary for desiring marriage and intimacy and commitment and connection. So what's the reward that the Heavenly Father has for the secret giver? I think Jesus is saying, when we give with the right motives, the reward is seeing the need met. When the hungry are fed, when the naked are clothed, when the sick are healed, when the oppressed are set free, when the lost are saved, the love that prompts the giving is satisfied and produces its own kind of joy that nothing else can accomplish. That is God's love expressed through us, through his people. And one day, Jesus says, we will hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. That brings its own unique joy that isn't looking for recognition, that isn't looking for any other kind of reward. Our giving is not for others, It's not waiting for the clapping to begin. It's not for ourselves. It's it's not about patting ourselves on the back. It's it's for God. It's for other people on behalf of God. And and God ultimately rewards us with the experience that, as Jesus said, it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. The hypocrisy that looks for human praise can never satisfy our hearts. That is what Jesus wants to set us free from from that kind of bondage to to trying to get the approval, to find the applause, to to get the recognition, because it will never be enough. And and you can't satisfy all the demands that all those different voices are going to place on you anyway. You get disappointed. You you end up needing it, demanding it, and then you become resentful when when you don't get the recognition. And, And Jesus is trying to free us from this kind of frantic, rushing around, desperate need to please others or applaud ourselves for how we're doing. That leads to freedom and joy and to the ability to have deep relationships because people are not an audience. They're now brothers and sisters, and we're bearing one another's burdens and encouraging one another to love and good deeds. Jesus is inviting us into a kingdom life with a more solid foundation and a better outcome. That our recognition comes from the Father's voice and in Jesus' death and resurrection and by the Holy Spirit living in us. Now we have a better righteousness, a better recognition. That we hear the Father's voice saying to us, this is my son, this is my daughter. With them I am well pleased. 
Not because you give generously, but because of what Jesus has done. He's inviting us then to to experience that kind of life of quiet, calm, and secret righteousness. When you give, when you pray, when you fast, those, those scenarios are just three examples of a whole life that is shaped, grounded on God's love, God's acceptance, God's delight in us. Jesus is not calling us to hate ourselves, to, you know, sort of hang our heads and say, I'm nothing, I didn't do anything. We are glorious creatures made in the image of God. But glory is a dangerous thing. And it can turn our hearts so easily when the glory starts being aimed at us instead of pointing it back to the one who deserves the glory. May we be givers whose generosity is about serving others and honoring God, the giver of every good gift. Let's pray. Oh, Father, thank you. Thank you for Jesus, for his word to us that both shines the light on us and what our hearts are often like and shines the light in order to bring healing and hope and guide us into life that is free and joyful. Oh, God, grow us to be people that have enough identity and satisfaction and recognition simply because we're in Jesus and that that frees us to be generous and loving and serving others for your glory. Thank you, Father. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.